Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. It's great. Super psyched on Rise, but that fucking. No, this really is. No, oh, it smells really good. Sagamore is like elite. And it, I love did you the, see it's 110? I did not. It's hot. It's hot. Um, but like not in a, oh my God, I can't drink this way. Just in a, oh my God, I can't drink too, a lot ma- of too many way. of them. Yeah, yeah. Or I will be. I can't drink a lot of these. In way. massive trouble. This is a barrel pick, by the way. Nice. So, Sagamore is one of my favorite ryes, and it happens to be the product of Baltimore. There you go. Set that in front there. Because we're talking Ravens today. A little bit of local flavor. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I have some Old Bay. We should have done Old Bay wings for this, too, or at least Old Bay fries, and really just Baltimore'd it up. We could have. <sighs> yeah. Oh, well. Next time. Next time. Maybe for the uh, AFC North. When we get really bougie. <laughs> We'll have blue soft-shell crabs. Ooh. They're so good. You know, I just think we have to go out to Baltimore for a game. How about that? Uh, yes. 100%. As a guy that used to live very close to there and take weekend trips to Baltimore and Annapolis and everything, it is one of the most beautiful places in the country. It's yeah, gorgeous. some of our best friends live out in uh, in uh, Bethesda. It's not that far away. No. It's like 45 minutes, right? Uh, on a good day it's yeah. kind of like here. i know i know it's it's kind of that whole like region here. can get giga fucked by traffic pretty quickly <laughs> indeed that is an accurate description all right anyway it's raven's day uh we're yes. talking scheme we're talking personnel we're talking coaching we're talking draft for agency everything you need to know about the 2023 ravens and uh we'll come back on the other side of the intro with uh i don't know a lot of really nerdy ass football talk jay roll it First things first, EJ, this is the Anthony Grayson episode. That's right. Right off the top, one of our editors, Anthony, who does tremendous work bringing you all this content, is a massive Ravens fan, and we would be remiss if we didn't shout him out right at the top. So, be more. The day that Lamar got signed had to have been, like, (laughs) top five day of his life. Thank God we didn't fumble the bag. (laughs) Lamar stayed. I think for all Baltimore fans, but Anthony especially. I almost don't even care, like what the number is, honestly, for Lamar, because in not even two years, in one year, it's not going to matter. Like, once Burrow signs his and Herbert signs his. Honestly, I think after this year, it might not matter. No, because he's going to be amazing. And, you know, again, knock on, well, this isn't wood, knock on whatever this is. Uh, But 
if he stays healthy, he's going to be right back to being in the MVP discussion. Like this was a team that was seven and three before he got hurt and very easily could have made a run at the one seed. And then it all fell apart because of injuries and true. Uh, is that a, what the, f- is that a Cobra? What? There's two Cobras flying through downtown. What the fuck? Yep. Absolutely. Are we under attack? If this, we were, we're like as safe as we're gonna, mission? What the fuck? We're as safe as we can be. I, they're, okay. su- they're super cobras, but okay. Still, though, that's cool. Sure. I, I don't know why they're here. Slightly concerning, but okay. Protect and serve. <laughs> well, so we had ospreys going by. We had ospreys uh, the other day. Now we got super cobras. All right. Yeah, good times. Let's go. Uh, anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, right. Uh, if Lamar Ravens. stays healthy. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, Absolute weapons. deadly weapons. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to get there eventually. Got um, if if Lamar stays healthy, this should be a team that contends not just for the division, but also for the Super Bowl. And I think he will stay healthy. And I think a lot of Ravens will stay healthy this year because a change has been made to uh, the staff of the Ravens, particularly the training staff. They, they let Steve Saunders go. And many Ravens, current and former, had strong opinions on Steve Saunders and felt like he was, um, if not entirely, at least partially at fault for why the Ravens always seem to get hurt and be inundated with injuries every single year. With Saunders no longer in the building, I don't know if that's going to translate to an improved injury rate or rather an improved health rate, if you want right. to call it that. But it certainly seems like Ravens players believe that it will. Yeah. I have to say, this is one of the episodes that I sort of circled when we started this schedule. I am more excited to talk about the Ravens, not only because of that, because that's been a major factor in their downfall over the past three to four years is games lost to injury. But the one that we've been calling for vocally vociferously, loudly, year after year is, please God get the Ravens an updated passing game. Greg Roman had his ideas about a passing, how a passing game worked. He called an amazing running game, and he brought Lamar a lot of the success that he's gained notoriety for. But he was also a cap on that success once Lamar achieved that base level of being able to expand the passing game and go, okay, I can use both parts of this super weapon. And we've been saying for two years on this podcast, I think he's got to go. I think they need to at least bring in a different passing coordinator. I think they need to open up the passing offense. And it was also reflected in their personnel strategy. As we talk about in the series all the time, What a team wants to do is reflected by who it goes out and gets, what it prioritizes in free agency, how it spends capital in the draft. And the Ravens just, they got one receiver every year and then a bunch of guys and Mark Andrews. And that was it. That was good enough for them because that was going to serve their passing game. But we both believe that passing game wasn't sufficient to take them to the heights that they want to reach, which is the Super Bowl. That's over. And speaking of not fumbling the bag, they replaced him with a guy that we both feel extremely confident about. We're going to talk about that in down in the podcast. But at the top, I am 
more excited about talking about the Ravens than I have been in a long time because of those two changes, the change in the training staff and the change in their offense, specifically their offensive coordinator. I feel like it really, we're going to see a very different Ravens team. And I feel like the lid's been taken off Lamar and I couldn't be more excited about that. Again, this was a seven and three ball club that finished the season three and four. Well, in their last five, they went two and three. But overall, once Correct. the Lamar injury happened, I think it was like mid-November. Yeah. Um, three and four is how they closed it out. They were still fighting to the bitter end, mm-hmm. right? Even being desperately outgunned in terms of talent. But they're not outgunned in terms of coaching, or at least head coach and defensive coordinator. Now they're not outgunned with OC either. But um, the organizational structure is as good as you could hope for. The talent level is as good as you could hope for. Like, this is maybe the best Ravens receiving core they've had since the franchise started. No, this is this is the best Ravens receiving core. I mean, the arrow is firmly pointing up for a team that finished with double-digit wins last year in spite of everything that went wrong. I don't know. I feel like they're they're lost in the shuffle. Everybody wouldn't talk about the AFC. It's, it's Kansas City, and for good reason. You know, they talk about Buffalo. They talk about uh, the Bengals, you know, in the same division. Nobody talks about Baltimore. And I, I truly have no idea why. This is my, let me be 100% clear. This is receipts. Baltimore is my AFC sleeper power team. Not like, oh, sneaky good team. Oh, they could get into the playoffs. No, sneaky power team as in we'll dog walk everyone is going to force their way into the conversation in a way that they have not been able to despite lots of odds you know last year 2022 overall record 10 and 7 rank in the division still second Lamar didn't play all the games they were fighting against an antiquated passing scheme all that still second in a very tough division that we describe as a street fight all the time Home record five and three, road record five and four, very consistent. Last five games, two and three, but that's without Lamar. All of that was achieved without a really strong receiving core, without what I will call a modern or updated passing game. Harbaugh's teams always fight. He's very much like Tomlin in that way. Mm -hmm. They don't give up no matter what. Now, a couple of roadblocks have been kicked down in front of them. They won 10 games last year, and you're right. Nobody's talking about them. I'm going to say right now, early on, in June, fully expect the Ravens to be kicking around at the top of the AFC power structure. What's really interesting to me is, again, this was a, a team that ended up with, with 10 wins. There was a lot of teams that ended up with 12, 13, you know, 11 to 4, anywhere between 11 and 14, right? Sure. Their power score, which is your baby, was 12th overall in the league. A lot of the teams that finished with two or three wins more than them were like mid to late teens. They just happen to, again, get dragged down by injuries. But their overall power score, if we're just looking at EPAs and and averages and everything like that, they were a top 12 team at the NFL despite the injuries. Right. And we've taken the lid off and added to that. So if you're new to the series, something that we have for you this year is this effectiveness summary. Uh, we base it off EPA per play. We look at offense and defense. We divide offense into rushing and passing EPA per play, uh, defending against the run and defending against the pass EPA per play. 
and then points scored and points allowed because that's the name of the game in the NFL. You got to score more points than your opponent. In terms of the rushing offense for the Ravens, league rank fourth overall. Not surprising. Again, Roman could call a run game. We love his run game, and Lamar, when he is healthy, is one of, if not the preeminent rush threat in the league. Passing offense, suitably 21st, right? This was always the problem. The imbalance between, yeah, you've got an awesome state-of-the-art running game. Your passing game doesn't hold up. It's part of the water. Rushing defense, Ravens are known for good defense. League rank 11th. Pass defense in terms of coverage, 15th, which is fine. You can win with a middle-of-the-road pass coverage grade. You know, you're not getting boat raised. In terms of points scored, they scored 350 points. That was good for 19th. In terms of scoring defense, they were elite. They only allowed 315 points. That was good for third overall in the NFL. You limit other teams scoring in that way, you can keep yourself in a lot of games. And it's one of the reasons they ended up with double-digit wins. That led them to a points differential of plus 35, which was good for eighth overall in the NFL. When you take those top six league ranks and average them out, again, come to that bootleg power score. Raw score was 12.1. We average it to 12. It's a really good score. Indicates a team that is very good at all the basic things you need to do, with the exception of that passing offense EPA down at 21st. With a lot of the changes we're going to talk about this year, I don't expect their passing game to be 21st. I expect it to be a lot better. This is a good team that looks to be able to get a lot better quick. Schematically, they are the most fascinating red zone defense in the NFL. And, and I'll, I'll give it a couple years before I do an episode on it because it is really cool stuff. But um, overall, yes, well-coached team. I'm a big fan of Coach Mack. He's a great defensive coordinator. He's going to keep being a great defensive coordinator. And uh, I really can't wait to see what he does. In terms of scheme information that I, I can <laughs> go over, like at a very top level, like these are all things that everybody knows. They're all statistics everybody knows. Uh, well, not everybody, but... In, they're available. They're available. They're in the ether. Um, I want to go over coverage information first. They were uh, a very aggressive defense. They were sixth in the NFL in calling zero. Like when they really had to get after somebody, they were going to call zero. And for the most part, they were also pretty good at calling zero and not getting burned by it. Um, they were fairly low in calling middle field close man coverage, i.e. cover one. They were 29th in that, but they were very prevalent, or rather they really loved calling cover three, so middle field closed zone. Again, it's all match zone, so it kind of plays out like man coverage to a degree. Some call it zone with man principles. Some call it man with zone principles. I just, it's match three, right? Um, but they did that a lot. They were 13th in cover three they were 19th in cover two kind of below average there uh, but they were 14th in quarters again match zone principles that's what they're all about um, again red zone they were very good at, at running match zones in the red zone uh, quarter quarter half they were seventh but unlike some other defenses in the nfl that leaned very heavy into quarter quarter half or half quarter quarter they were actually really good at it they knew what they were doing. Again, Coach Mack is a phenomenal teacher and a phenomenal coordinator. Uh, and they didn't really call a whole lot of two-man. They were 24th in that. So overall, their coverage structure, if I was going to compare it to anything, it mm -hmm. would be kind of a like a, 
Nick Sabanese-ish type of Alabama, Georgia type. Um, not entirely, but there's a lot of that DNA there. But even more on top of that. And not to mention when you have a whole bunch of NFL athletes running it, it's going to look pretty darn good if everybody's playing their role and knowing their responsibilities. There's a lot of checks in this defense. It's not a simple one, but it has answers for everything, and they are very, very good at running it. Yeah, the zero percentage mixed with quarter, quarter, half, right? Those are their highest scores in terms of frequency. Um, I think a lot of people think of zero as like a desperation defense, like, oh, we're just going to bring everybody and, Jesus, hope we get there. There's good ways to run zero and not good ways to run zero. And like you said, they were very effective at running zero. Sometimes they ran that early and that caused folks to panic or have their play be smushed, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. And then they could be comfortable going into, again, what is a very complex system in quarter, quarter, half, but running that very effectively and without holes. There's good ways and bad ways to run that as well. They were good at both. <laughs> they ran both a lot and they were good at both. And that put a lot of pressure on opposing offenses and kept the points down. In terms of blitz percentages on third downs in between the 20 yard lines, again, outside of the red zone, because red zone defense, very different than in between the 20s. Uh, all the stuff that complements those coverages we talked about. In third and short, they were fifth in, in terms of sending pressure. They were big fans of not just clogging run lanes, but getting bodies into the backfield. Uh, they were a very blitz-heavy defense overall because in third and medium, they were also 11th in blitz rate. In third and long, they were fourth in blitz rate. They sent pressure relentlessly. And part of that, in my opinion, was because they, they didn't, totally believe they could get pressure with four mm. and they believed more in their coverage on the back end holding up while sending extra guys rather than uh, allocating seven guys into coverage and, and getting there with four. I think that was more of a here's the only way we can get pressure. But again, their coverage was so good that they were able to do it and get away with it. And they were a, a fantastic uh, blitzing team overall. In terms of their stunt percentage uh, on third down overall, they were 13th at about 46%. That, again, kind of ties a little bit into uh, blitz percentage because you're not going to stunt as much when you're sending five and six guys unless you're doing like a really kind of complicated you know, twist maybe with a linebacker. But if you're just rushing four, that's typically where you're going to see more stunts. So their, their stunt uh rating i guess you want to call it or, or what ranking that's the better word sure. is a little bit lower just because their blitz percentage is a little bit higher but overall very aggressive defense kind of uh detroit lions ish you know in terms of just fuck it send everybody like that's that's kind of what they want to be and i i honestly kind of think it harkens a little bit back to the rex ryan days where they, they oh. played a similar type of style yeah and i love that the idea is 13th as lower. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like it's still almost top third. And if you look at those blitz percentages for down and distance, fifth, 11th, and fourth, this is not a team that rushes three and drops eight, like hardly ever. And they're going to bring extra guys and put you under pressure, make you make a decision very quickly. And they like their odds in those scenarios because they kept doing it 
and they were very effective at it. There's lots of teams that do it. We talked about why the Bears did it. It's because they didn't have any other options, and they weren't particularly good at getting home in that situation. Ravens are the flip side of that coin. They did it really often, and they were good at getting home. So commensurately, points for opponents were lower. Um, they ended a lot more drives than a team like the Bears did that had a, again, high blitz percentage. But make no mistake, they are coming. In terms of their rushing offense, we talked about it a little bit earlier with what Greg Roman did last year. Um, because Roman's not there anymore, I kind of want to also bring in uh, what Todd Monken did at Georgia, who's the new offensive coordinator, uh, and kind of compare and contrast the run games that Monken coordinated versus the one that uh, Roman coordinated. Monken's a very, very good offensive coordinator, by the way, but we'll, we'll get to him. When you look at the Roman run game, they were 25th in outside zone. They were 30th in inside zone, which is shocking to me considering how much pistol and gun they were doing and they have mobile quarterbacks. It, like That typically translates to like, we're running inside zone like 35, 40% of the time. They were at 8%. They didn't really do it. Nope. Uh, they were 23rd in duo, which also kind of surprised me because you always think of like man blocking schemes with them. But... They made up for it by being 24% power, which is first by a lot in the league. They were also first in counter by a lot. When they blocked people, it was just nine different ways of washing down the offensive line, or washing down the defensive line, I should say, with 320-plus pound offensive linemen that are bigger and stronger than everybody, and then pulling somebody behind them. Whether it was power, meaning the wrapper or the puller is kind of hitting up inside or counter, meaning they're doing a kick out. Uh, that's kind of the main difference between power and counter is just the aiming point and the target of the puller. But they had like nine or ten different ways of running power and counter that all looked exactly the same. And they were so freaking good at it. And they didn't really do a whole lot else looking nope. at the entire composite of their run game. Outside zone was like their third most common run, and they ran it 14% of the time. Like it's, They were very much a power and counter run game. You compare that to Todd Bonkin, 39% inside zone. It was 7% outside zone, which is even less than Craig Roman. Power, though, 0%. He called power once the entire season. Counter was 17%. Way less than Greg Roman. So this run game, I am fascinated by, and I truly do not know the answer yet. Mm -hmm. How much are they keeping from Roman, which was great for a yeah. long time, and how much are they just letting Todd Monken do Todd Monken, which is we're running inside zone, we're running RPOs, we're running zone reads. All the stuff they did at Georgia, like, again, counter was their 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 other run they ran like that was the second most common run they had was counter but it was less than half of their top run of inside zone i don't want to call it one dimensional because it wasn't but it was very different than greg roman i really have no idea what they're going to be leaning into this year because they're going from a very good run game to now a very different run game this is one of the check marks I get to put on my calendar is four weeks into the season because not after week one. Lots of crazy stuff happens in week one. No team's going to unveil everything in week one. No team's really going to unveil everything by week four. But you get a pretty good idea after the first month. After the first month, I'm going to check in on these percentages and be like, so 
Where are we at right now? Is it an even split? Some teams are, right? There are teams that run, you know, power and counter, the more sort of inside man heavy schemes, as well as outside zone and to a fairly equal rate. When you look at Roman's run game, there's no equal rate. Outside zone 25th, inside zone 30th, duo 23rd. And then you get down to power first, counter first. Yeah. Like, we're doing this. We're doing it by a huge margin. By we're the doing way. it really well. <laughs> we're going to execute very cleanly, and you're going to have trouble stopping us because this is what we do, and we do it very well. But it's it somewhat narrow in terms of overall scope. Again, the way it played out on the field, not narrow. They disguised it a lot of different ways. They ran it from different alignments. But it was always basically sort of boiling down to the same thing. And like you said, Monken wasn't that way. So is he going to transition or are they going to ask the offense to flex a little bit? Is it going to be 50-50? One of the most fascinating sort of early season balance or statistics to track. I also think the passing game, again, I have no idea what they're going to do there because the Monken passing game, A, is just it's more well-developed than Greg Roman. Like you, you see play call sequencing on the field. Like you can see them set stuff up. You know, receivers are not just huddling in the same area of the field all the time. Like the route distribution is better. The sequencing is better. Like, it's not like he has a whole bunch of concepts that Greg Roman just doesn't call. Like Greg Roman had every passing concept in the playbook and I have his playbook. So I know that for a fact, it's just, he didn't freaking call them. There were some dusty pages there (laughs) that didn't get visited very often. Todd Monken will use every page. And I think that's that's kind of the jump that we're making here. That being said, looking at the Ravens' past game last year, you saw what a lot of the issues were. And I do not want to blame this on Lamar. They were 17th in yards per attempt, which is bad. Uh, keep in mind, all these stats are through week 11. I cut them off at week 11. That's when Lamar got hurt. I, I didn't right. want to throw Tyler Huntley stats in there. It was all through week 11. They were 17th in yards per attempt, 13th in big-time throw percentage. They were uh, 13th in air yardage percentage, meaning the percentage of their yards that were through the air rather than yards after the catch. They were 6th in average depth of target. They were uh, an average time to throw of over 3 seconds, which was the 4th, quote-unquote, slowest. But again, with mobile quarterbacks, you tend to see that more often because they can run. Uh, Play-action percentage, they were 5th. Most of those numbers are fine, but having a bunch of those high numbers that suggest bombing it down the field and only having a yards per attempt of 7.3, which was 17th in the league, is very concerning. And on the surface, a lot of people would say, oh, Lamar wasn't hitting his guys. Lamar was missing. Lamar wasn't making plays. How I would look at it is, Lamar was throwing to Demarcus Robinson, Devin DuVernay, and Tylen Wallace because Rashad Bateman played like five games the entire year. Now he's throwing to Rashad Bateman and Zay Flowers and hopefully a fully healthy and resurgent Odell Beckham plus Mark Andrews. The amount of receiving talent for Lamar to go deep with is orders of magnitude better this year. So even if all those numbers stay the same in terms of average depth of target and big time throw percentage. The fact that those throws are going to better players means that the Ravens passing game almost by default should be a lot better. 
we've talked about this several times throughout this series, the X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. And in terms of the Ravens passing game, the X's and O's, I believe, are a whole lot better. And we could do a deep dive video about Todd Monken and his concepts. If you want a primer, our buddy Ted Wen over at The Athletic did a, did a dive into Monken's offense and particularly his counter punches. Um, what he will run for plays, and then when the defense stuffs that play, what he has up his sleeve out of the very same look to basically go the other way and catch him with their pants down. And I know a lot of people watching this will say, hey, all offensive coaches have those. They do, but they don't pull them out all the time. Just like Greg Roman had all the passing plays but didn't use them all. Monken's frequency of those sort of gotcha plays on offense are so freaking exciting so they've definitely increased on that side of the house and they updated their roster and gave Lamar a lot more weapons than he's ever had. And I think that's an easily safe thing to say, even as we sit here on paper, not grass preseason, not even into the, you know, the beginning half of what I think is going to be a really exciting campaign for the Ravens. But you see increases in the setup that are, I don't want to say exponential, but significant on both sides of the house that's where I get really excited about the Ravens. Hopefully people are now starting to understand why, why we are so hyped about this team. Everything that was wrong last year should be better. Now, moving into the power structure, speaking of Todd Monken, who we've been singing the praises of, pulled him out of Georgia. It's his first year. But the rest of the staff, in particular the front office, uh, as well as John Harbaugh, has been there forever, and it's one of the most stable organizations in the entire league. Yeah, GM Eric DaCosta took over. He was the hand-picked successor to Ozzy when he left after a very long and very successful tenure uh, that I think should put him in the Hall of Fame again <laughs> as a GM, not just as a player. And DaCosta and Harbaugh understand each other. They have a very strong handshake between coach and GM, and that leads to getting players that fit your system more often and less misses overall in the draft that can't be understated in terms of pushing an organization to the top of the league it keeps you from having to reset every two or three years and going oh we're going to do something completely different so now we've got a clean house as far as the coordinators go again we've got one of those assistant head coach titles in this case it's defensive line coach anthony weaver he gets the assistant head coach nod. We've talked a lot about Todd Monken as the new OC and how excited we are about that change. Last year, we talked in a very similar vein about the defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, coming back from Michigan to run the defense in Baltimore and the special teams coach, Chris Horton. It's a very solid staff all the way up through the GM. Um, feels like they understand each other and are it doesn't feel like one of those organizations where coordinators are going, well, if I had better ingredients, I could cook better food. They're like, they got me what I asked for. If it's our system, we're going to go out there and get very good results, even when we have injuries, even when we come up short in terms of a passing game. You know, their defense was elite. You can look at the numbers and say scoring defense was elite. The yardage defense was elite. This is, again, a 10-win team that suffered a lot of losses last year that's improved in marked ways and some of the ways we've called for for many years. That's what leads to this level of sort of anticipation and excitement. Looking at their uh, assistant coaches, by the way, uh, Chuck Smith coaching up the edges. I mean, they already got a bunch of young edge talent there, but, but Chuck Smith is one of the best uh, pass rush developers 
anywhere, like college, pro, anything. Uh, they have a bunch of freak athletes that are young and on that roster. I think they are going to get even better than they already are just because Chuck Smith's there. Yeah, it's his second year with the Ravens. He's got 20 years experience training pass rushers. Two decades mm-hmm. of training pass rushers. I I love this addition last year. Should only get better this year. Uh, we'll stick on defense. Uh, Denard Wilson is the cornerback coach. He had 12 years. He has 12 years as experience as an NFL coach. Um, consistently produces top performers in that secondary. Uh, Ravens corners always in the mix. Gets the most out of his guys. It feels like when guys go there, they develop, and that's part of the handshake from DaCosta and his team, understanding what kind of raw material to put into that system. And then Denard Wilson, a big part of developing that for them. Uh, switching back to the offense, uh, George Goodsey, tight end coach in his 12th NFL season with the Ravens. What do we need to say about Ravens tight ends? Oh, they're always good. They're always good. Number yeah. one, number two, uh, they exceed, they get contracts other places. You know, George Goodsey, uh, a lot of credit goes to him for that. T. Martin, his quarterback's coach, uh, he's going to be asked to get more out of Lamar overall, I think. And he's already done a fairly good job of that. And then Willie Taggart, the running back coach, has coached running backs at the collegiate level for two. 24 years. He's been the head coach at five Division I programs, Florida Atlantic, Florida State, Oregon, South Florida, got a thing for Florida, by the way, and (laughs) Western Kentucky. Uh, Played under, get this, John Harbaugh's father, Jack, at Western Kentucky. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, Left as the Division I record holder for rushing yards as a QB. That's insane. I had no idea you played under Jack fascinating how football world goes round and round anyways if you were wondering uh what that record was he had 300 uh sorry 3,997 yards as a rushing qb which was a lot back in the day but a lot back (laughs) in the day and he ends up in baltimore with lamar Mm. even though he's not coaching lamar like you know you can't think that willie taggart isn't sort of pulling lamar aside going i used to do that yeah yeah oh my god well, looking at the the groceries that you mentioned and kind of you know, zooming in on on Greg Lewis and the receivers that you mentioned, how uh, he finally has a good group to work with. Uh, I kind of want to talk about the receiver group in general because Zay Flowers, when we go over the draft, we'll talk about the entire draft class. But I, I really want to talk in specifics about Zay Flowers right now because they took him in the first round, and we knew that they loved him because we had heard even back at the Shrine Bowl that they literally told him, if you're there, we're taking you. We just don't think you'll be there. And then he happened to be there, and they took him. You know, it's best-case scenario for the Ravens. I think that the the discussion going on right now between Bateman and Flowers, who is the heir apparent, Hmm. is the most underrated discussion about the Ravens in general. Because you have these two first round slash former first round picks at receiver with somewhat similar skill sets, different size, but I would say they both make their money in similar ways, being great route runners, really explosive in short area, can beat press coverage, can line up inside, can line up outside. Zay has more vertical juice. Bateman has more size. That's kind of the main Mm -hmm. difference between the two. But I I would say in terms of skill set, I saw them as a lot more similar than than maybe a lot of other folks when they were coming out. And then you have Odell, who 
when Odell's at his best, he is both of those things. Like he has more size than Zay. He has more explosiveness than Bateman, again, when he's healthy. Plus he's a great route runner. Plus he catches everything. Plus you can line him up inside and outside. Both of these young guys are kind of competing for heir apparent to be the wide receiver one. And the Mm -hmm. Ravens haven't had a true wide receiver one since Steve, right? Like five, six years ago, whatever that was. And I think when you look at kind of like, for instance, where they're going in fantasy, like they're going as wide receiver 44 and wide receiver 44. Like they're literally tied. The ADP is the exact same, (laughs) 88.2. People don't know which one to take. And so they're taking them. I'm not even getting back to back. That I understand. They're going back to back in basically every draft because people don't know who to prioritize. And I think that the people who are unsure are looking at this the wrong way. It's not an either or. It's a yes and. The Ravens will be in a lot more 11 personnel than people think. Yes. They are not going to just be in 21, 22, 12, 13 personnel, all the big stuff that Greg Rowan prioritized. They're still going to run the ball a lot, but they're going to do it from 11. They will be spread out more under Todd Bakken. So it's not a who's going to be on the field, Bateman or Zay. It's going to be they're all on the field together. They're just playing different spots. Bateman's probably going to be outside along with Odell. Zay's probably going to be inside. It doesn't mean that they both won't eat. And I think the paralysis that we're seeing, and again, both of them are going as wide receiver fours in fantasy right now. And the paralysis we're seeing is people don't know how to interpret the situation. And I think as a result, they're undervaluing both of them at the same time. So, which is great for me because when I'm drafting, I can get both of them and not have to worry about it. But I think that if if you're looking at this Ravens passing offense and the first receiver that you're seeing go off the board from this passing attack is like the seventh, eighth round, maybe ninth round in some drafts, that's wrong. Like this is going to be a very explosive passing game. You should get as many pieces of it as you can. And they're going way too low. All of them. All of them are going way too low. It's a bit like slicing it too finely, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I want the best one. Well, what if they're only 20 or 30 points overall better than the other one? Take either. It's like a one-point difference per game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they are going to be successful. I think the Ravens passing game in general has a stink to it from the past what, eight years, where there just haven't been stars outside of Andrews, right? It was a wide receiver. Come on. How many Ravens wide receivers have you taken in fantasy? I'll raise my own hand. Well, I took Bateman because, you know. (laughs) I think he's great. I think he's great. And it doesn't matter. You could name names. And because of the system more than anything, a lot of those guys have been suppressed. A lot of those guys were the teams now. They, you know, they went for low deals and free agency. Just doesn't feel like we ever really got a fair assessment of where they've been. We saw like a flash of Bateman, but I still don't think that we've seen like prime Bateman in an NFL passing game. And I feel like this year we're gonna. That's exciting. Zay, everybody knows we're excited about Zay ever since we, you know, interviewed him at the Shrine Bowl. There's going to be a lot of good options. There will be what I will call typical questions about spread and distribution that you would find with quote unquote regular NFL passing games that haven't really applied to the Ravens. Those things will come into play, but 
don't shy away because you think, ah, it's the Ravens. They just don't throw the ball. That's going out the window. Yeah. You are going to see more spread. You are going to see Monken leverage wide receivers in a way that, you know, it's fair to say Greg Roman never did. We'll see who ends up good or better or best, but don't stay away just because they play for Baltimore. I just think people are so stuck in the in the old mentality of when trying to draft anybody from Ravens offense. It's like, who's the guy, right? Yeah, because there's, there's only, only one. <laughs> there's only like one receiver on the field. It's like, which ones is it going to be? Yeah. And now I think what people need to kind of retrain is like, look at it more like Cincinnati, where it's not who's the guy. Like, obviously, Jamar is the best, but it doesn't mean you don't draft T. Higgins. It doesn't yep. mean you don't draft Tyler Boyd. And people are still approaching it that way of like, they don't know which one it takes, so they're taking none of them when they should be taking all of them. You know, you don't have to do it on, like, all of them on one team, but, but they are going to yeah. spread the ball around so much this year that I'm not I'm not hyper-focused on, I have to get Rashad Bateman because nobody else is going to get the ball. Right. It's, I can get Rashad Bateman because I know that despite everybody else being on the field, he's still going to get the ball. I don't know. It's a different mentality, I think, in terms of how their passing game is structured. And it's, A, better for fantasy, also better for real football as well. An absolute sea shift, you know, sea change in terms of how people view the Ravens passing game. Again, both for quote unquote real football and fantasy football. Uh, shout out to our main sponsor, Underdog Fantasy, for making everything we do for the next two years possible. Um, I wouldn't be here without their support. You wouldn't be seeing all this really cool 4K content. Um, so check them out. They'll absolutely match your deposit up to 100 bucks. Double your money. You can spend it on you know, best ball drafts. You can use it for scouting uh, in terms of dropping in and seeing where people are going before you do your home league draft that really matters to you. There's a million ways to use the platform. We couldn't be more thankful for their support. Also, by the way, when you are doing either of those mock drafts or if you're trying to get on Best Ball Mania, uh, which is a $15 million prize pool this year, there is one particular Raven skill position player mm. that is being more heavily targeted than I expected. Mm. And it's not Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is tight end two, and for good reason. He's going in the early third round. Yeah, yeah, by the mid, way, mid that's not round. going away. That's Lamar, not going away. He's, Lamar he still, still be loves TV Mark too. Andrews, no matter what. He's going to be in Monken's ear going, no, no, don't take that out. I throw that one to Mark. For me, though, the J.K. Dobbins hype train, I, it's not that I'm completely off, but I do think that people are maybe box score scouting a little bit too much here. Okay. He's going at mid fifties, ADP RB 17. And again, that's not crazy, right? It's mm. top to mid RB two ish. It's not super crazy, especially in best ball when receivers fly off the board before running backs. Anyway, that being said, the narrative around Dobbins, I think is putting some somewhat uh, unrealistic expectations because you look at the last four games and he's ripping off 100 yard games and it's one of the most overall productive running backs in the league over the last month of the season however if you're actually watching those games and you're seeing how he's getting that yardage mm -hmm. i don't want to say that it was unearned yardage it, there's no yardage that's like truly unearned in the nfl but Despite being fourth in explosive runs of 15-plus yards in those last four games, he had 10 of them, again, fourth most in the NFL, he was second in yards before contact per attempt, meaning 
what's the average amount of yards that you're getting before you're even touched? Yep. It was three. He was getting three yards per carry before he ever got touched in the last month of the season. Their offensive line was kicking the crap out of people. Yeah. And it led to, again, a bunch of those explosive runs where he's just getting basically a canyon, right? Mm -hmm. They were really, really kicking butt in the last month. 54 per 54.5%, excuse me, of his yards were after contact, which again sounds good. Getting over half your yards after contact. Sure. Compared to every other running back in the league that had at least 25 attempts in the last month, which there's a decent chunk. He was 44th in the NFL over that time in terms of yards after contact percentage. Meaning that not only were there 32 running backs, but there was a bunch of backup running backs in the NFL that were more efficient at getting yards after they got touched. Again, I'm not saying J.K. Dobbins is a bad football player. I love Dobbins. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, if you're actually watching the games and you're kind of questioning, is he all the way back from the injury yet? I don't quite see it yet. You're correct. If that was your instinct and you're kind of like quieting that instinct down because you're like, yeah, but he was really productive, so he must be all the way back. No, he wasn't. Like it was the offensive line putting in show stopping performance after show stopping <laughs> over time. <laughs> you know, again, they weren't winning games in the back half of the season, but they were running the shit out of the ball. Yep. Again, they had the fourth overall rushing EPA per play mm-hmm. with Lamar being gone by mid November. Yeah. Because of the offensive line. So, again, this is not me saying don't draft J.K. Dobbins. This is not me saying he's uh, not going to eventually be all the way back. What I'm saying is he wasn't all the way back last season. And I think that the expectations for him of like, oh, he's going to get 1,400 yards and double-digit touchdowns and everything like that. I'm not ready to put those unfair expectations on him unless the offensive line plays like it does again. Which, again, as we went over, their scheme potentially is changing pretty dramatically here. So we don't know if they're going to put in the same kind of work they did. I just think that there's a little bit too much unknown and a little bit too much of a hype train for me to take him as like a high to mid RB2. I'm going to let somebody else potentially get that big reward. I acknowledge it's a big reward. But I also feel like this could potentially be a, a box score scouting box score scouting situation that that leads some people down the wrong path. To say it nicely, yeah. I hope he doesn't have to. Is my answer. I hope that he gets like eleven hundred yards and they're good ones and they're efficient and it's high percentage and they're spreading the ball around enough to those wide receivers. We talked about the balance. Uh, between two of their top three wide receivers. I hope Odell Beckham Jr. comes back strong. He hasn't been particularly strong even over his most full seasons in the last couple of years. And that, you know, Mark Andrews has his typically heavy workload. I hope that J.K. Dobbins is like the third or fourth best option on this team and is efficient when he gets the ball and is all the way back, but doesn't have to get 1,400 yards like he would have in the past to make this team successful. Right now... Dobbins is going ahead of Miles Sanders in Carolina, which, again, another offensive line that kicks the crap out of people. He's going ahead of Damian Pierce. He's going ahead of Madison, who's going to be the RB1 in Minnesota, Mm. assuming. Yeah, assuming, but boy, that's a pretty good assumption. 
he's going ahead of Isaiah Pacheco, which is about where I start to be like, okay, we're close. But yeah. Isaiah Pacheco is going to be on arguably the best offense in the entire league and getting all the red zone touches. I, I don't know. It, again, I'm not saying that J.K. Dobbins is going to be unproductive. He's going oh, to be great. No. What I'm saying is there's, some, jets. there's <laughs> some dudes behind him where I'm, I kind of feel a little bit little bit safer about it. Yeah. Now, again, if you think I'm completely full of shit, totally fine. Uh, I, I get that. I understand that. Especially there's some Ravens fans right now that are like, you're out of your mind. J.K. Dobbins is amazing. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying be cautious. Indeed, indeed. Let's talk about some free agency losses, how this team has transformed itself. Um, most of these felt, I would say, kind of planned. Uh, every team has uh, their big board of uh, succession, <laughs> to use a popular phrase these days, who's going to age out, whose contract is going to become uncomfortable, um, who's going to move on scheme-wise. And, you know, the most probably highlight subtractions or losses on this roster justin houston at the edge one of your favorite players um still getting it done was still productive but i think they just sort of said it's time we need to move on to some younger guys marcus peters in a similar way at the cornerback position i think they wanted to get a little bit younger and wanted a little bit more in terms of consistency marcus peters one of the sort of peakiest cornerbacks in the league extremely high highs um some decent lows. Ben Powers, the left guard. Glass Campbell, same thing as Justin Houston. Still really effective. Um, I expect Glass Campbell to have a pretty good year wherever he goes at this point. He seems ageless, but Ravens decided they wanted to change it up a little bit. And then Chuck Clark is the only one I kind of head scratched a little bit. I just felt like Chuck Clark was going to be a Raven for life. He, you know, very successful player for them, as all the others have been as well. Uh, but he moves just, on. It was contract trade. stuff, right? You know, it's, you it can't is what pay it is. everybody. Yeah. Well, I, they did try to pay some people, though. I, I, I will say that they brought back Geno Stone at a relatively manageable, like less than two million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. They're going to get some pretty significant snaps from him. He played forty one percent of the snaps last year. Uh, Lamar obviously was the big one. You know. <laughs> Fifty-two million a year, worth every single penny. As soon as the Jalen Hurts deal uh, happened, it, it was kind of just a matter of time, right? Because if Hurts, who just came off a Super Bowl and darn near won it while going toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, if Hurts could take the deal he took, then Lamar kind of had no argument for why he deserved more. I mean, he got more, but I'm saying the the fully guaranteed stuff that that like Deshaun got that he was going after. Like if Hertz didn't even take a fully guaranteed deal, then Lamar kind of, he couldn't take a fully guaranteed deal. And I honestly think it's what we said at the top of the show. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He had to be back, right? He's back. The number's what it is. We think he's going to play pretty well. We think that number's going to look pretty darn good in a couple of years, but it really doesn't matter. It's about he had to be back because what were they going to do if he wasn't? panic right <laughs> it, it, like there was really no other option i know they were trying to play it cool and yeah there we was no other option really care. Yeah. yeah yeah you do you they let him lot. go explore the market but everybody was also fully aware that as soon as he got an offer they were going to match it yeah and and so the other teams that was why he wasn't really getting offers yeah. was they didn't want to do the ravens homework yeah because they knew that they were going to match it you know and i there was also kind of the uh 
the the demands that Lamar had in terms of uh, contract structure and guarantees and everything like that. I, I did a whole video about like why it just wasn't realistic mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and also like the damage that that potential type of contract could do to an organization just because of how the salary cap works and how guarantees work and everything like that. Like nobody wanted to end up with a Watson type deal, no. even for a top quarterback. It's just so inflexible limiting so limiting and it's like if you're if your entire cap strategy is just like let's tack on a couple void years like you're you don't have a cap strategy and so beyond just the everybody knew ravens were gonna match it they didn't want that type of deal anyway and and that's what he was asking for and it wasn't until Hertz signed and made it clear eminently clear you know (laughs) that like nobody was ever getting that type of deal ever again you know, that's finally what it took to get him signed. And so everybody won in the end. Lamar got generational wealth. Um, the Ravens didn't have to roll out Tyler Huntley week one. And I think everybody's pretty happy about it. Uh, now, they also, uh, you know, gave Roquan $20 million a year. So it's dropping cash like crazy for their young core of uh, elite to almost elite players in Roquan's case. I'm curious what the Roquan versus Tremaine Edmonds narrative is going to be over the next couple of years because the Bears shipped off Roquan, got a second-round pick, and then immediately paid Tremaine Edmonds almost to basically less. the same. Not that much less, though. But it's less. It's it's within the same ballpark. It's within the same ballpark, and but I, it's less for a younger player. I know, but I, I, I'm just really curious to see what the narrative is going to be over the next couple of years because they will be compared to each other. 100%. Every single week. Like every single, especially in Chicago and Baltimore, they're going to be compared every single week. Um, Tyler Huntley, by the way, speaking of Tyler Huntley, they did bring him back um, to be a, a solid backup that, you know, maybe if Lamar gets hurt, spot starts here and there. Again, can win you games. Knock on wood, don't want Lamar to get hurt. Can win you games. And for less than $3 million for a quarterback that, can maybe win you some games. That's pretty That's the good. sneaky good signing. Lamar is the big signing up in lights that had to be made. Tyler Huntley as sort of the handcuff signing to come and be his backup and stay in that system where he's proven the ability to win. There's a lot of second quarterbacks that you can't say that about, right? That, hey, if he has to start for five games in a row, can he win three of them? Like Tyler Huntley can do that. There's a lot of backup quarterbacks you do not feel good picking the over in terms of amount of wins if they have to go start five or six games. Looking at their outside additions, again, it wasn't uh, wasn't that much beyond Odell. Yeah. Know, Odell was the pretty quiet <laughs> the name in lights. Um, but other than that, you know, they brought in Josh Johnson, uh, the ageless, <laughs> just continuing his tour around the league. Uh, Sam Mustafer. They brought in from uh, Chicago. Not while I'm drinking. Thank, <coughs> thank God. <laughs> thank God. Uh, Batman's gone. Uh, Nelson Aguilar also still kicking around at age 30. Look at him go, man. He's had, he's had a nice career. Not going to lie. Yeah. You know, for, for how he started out to, to still be playing football at 30, it's a pretty good career. Very solid. Uh, and then Rocky Sin, uh, they brought him in as well at corner for a pretty manageable $4 million deal. So, uh, they spent most of their money in-house, which anytime you pay a quarterback uh, crazy-ass money, yeah, you're, you're going to spend most of your money in-house. But still managed to to drop a, a couple dollars for outside help, mainly Odell. Um, this was very much a go-for-it 
offseason for the Ravens. Yeah, they lined it up. They needed to get Lamar. Like you said, they tried to play cool for a long time. That dragged out longer than I thought it would. That handicapped them a little bit because they couldn't commit money that they were going to need to eventually sign him to go out and splash into free agency. They made solid additions. Um, You know, Rocky Sin feels very much like a Ravens corner to me in terms of profile, in terms of the way he plays. Is it a huge, you know, again, up and light signing? No. I feel like it could be a very sort of solid signing. Plays pretty well in their system. Yeah. Looking at the draft, again, we, t- we talked about Zay. He's a do-everything receiver, line him up inside, line him up outside, great route runner, mm-hmm. um, reliable hands. Really, the only time he ever had drop problems was when he was running, like, crossing routes, and he would kind of turn his head too early. But he has good hands. You know, works all three levels of the field. He's great. Beyond Zay? Uh, again, I don't want to make Ravens fans turn off this episode but i was kind of <laughs> underwhelmed i'm not gonna lie like it wasn't until we got to Voorhees in the seventh which is again he's gonna be redshirted because of the 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 injury but like it wasn't until we got to Voorhees where i was really kind of like oh okay i like that they're back yeah yeah eric DeCosta's drafts i have to say don't feel like ozzy's they don't carry those sort of depth picks all the way through the fourth the fifth sixth seventh they'll, they'll nail the early stuff right yeah. but some of the some of the mid to late stuff, I'm kind of, I don't yeah. want to say underwhelmed. Maybe that's maybe that's the wrong word. Underwhelmed isn't right, but I am whelmed. And you are whelmed, yes. The Ravens were the kings forever of letting the board come to them and and well into the late rounds as well. They, they sort of wouldn't deviate from script and they would just wait and it was like, what you do in your mock drafts, right? I can't believe this guy's still on the board. I'll take him. And the Ravens were the kings of taking those guys for years and years. And it propped up the sort of lower half of their roster and gave them so much flexibility with good players on their roster. It was really, in my mind, a sort of model for the league. Feels like they've gotten away from that a little bit under DaCosta, certainly in the second half. So round one, pick 22, Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Round three is their next pick, 86th overall. They get the very athletic Trenton Simpson linebacker out of Clemson. I, I like Simpson's tools. It's funny you talked about Tremaine Edmonds. I feel a little bit similar about him. They're not the same player coming out of college, but it's more <laughs> tools and yeah. less effectiveness. I think they want him to be Tyus Bowser's successor. Interesting. That's, that's, that's how I look at it. More of a oh. hybrid edge linebacker. Type. He's not an inside linebacker to me. He's not. He's more he of a play that way. He's a space player who yes. can also rush the passer, and I think they want him to basically just be be at Tyus Bowser's hip and say, "Learn from him, and eventually you'll be that." But I, as a rookie, I don't think he's going to be able to feel that much. No, I don't see immediate impact from him. I do like his potential, and if he had to go somewhere to be developed, I feel this is as good a place as he could go. Round four, pick 124. They get Tavius Robinson, the edge out of Old Miss. That was a sort of a meh pick for me, but then again, the Ravens have a history of picking edges. Some of them I'm excited about, and some of them I go, ah, and sometimes the uh ones work out better. So if he's going to work out anywhere, I have decent faith that Baltimore will do that for him. Round five, pick 157. I like this one. Cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly from Stanford. Um, Our buddy Thomas Booker, who plays defensive tackle for the Texans, was Caillou's teammate for 
two and a half years at Stanford. And I reached out to him and said, give me the book on Coyote Blue Kelly. What's what's your, you know, what's your take on him? What's your favorite thing or favorite trait, favorite quality about him? And he said, explosive plays, man. Look at the tape. He's, you know, he's very athletic, very physical, good size, not the greatest speed, but has a knack for creating big plays, whether it's big hits, whether it's, you know, interception, like crazy interceptions along the sidelines and big moments. Um, Fell because his testing numbers weren't great overall, but big physical, I'm just going to say defensive back that fits the Ravens mold. I like it overall. Round six, pick 199. Now, this is interesting. They have him labeled as a guard. Sala, I'm just going to say Sala because I'm going to butcher his last name. We got to interview him at the Shrine Bowl, uh, but played tackle for Oregon. Um, wasn't super high on his tape as a tackle, but at guard, I think I probably actually like him a little bit better. Yeah, no, I think that he fits more of their prototype at guard. Uh, in terms of just big, gigantic, strong boulder of a human being. Yes. Um, it's like Ben Cleveland all over again. I mean, not quite the same build, but no. also like not that far off. Yeah. Like just huge chunks of granite. Yeah, I think he absolutely fits. And Voorhees, honestly, I, I, Voorhees is a better player to me. Yes. Um, but again, he's going to probably not play his rookie year because of injury. That was a future investment. But Voorhees is going to be a starter for them eventually. And he's going to be a really, really good one for them eventually, too. I love the Voorhees pick. Again, the, the Trenton Simpson pick, and it's third round, so it's not like end of the world. But there were, uh, there were some other guys on the board specifically at also the type of position that Simpson plays are kind of like, oh, I might, I might favor somebody else. But, uh, and then Tavius Robinson, like I'm trusting Chuck Smith on that one. Yep. I, I just didn't see it. Like he's nope. so stiff. He's so stiff. He turns like a battleship. I don't know. Uh, again, I'm trusting the coaches, but I, for me personally, I wasn't super big on that. And I wonder, and I'll pose the question to you because we liked Zay so much. And we're pretty sure that he was going to succeed no matter where he went. We just love, love, love this guy. Tremendous player. Great interview. Great tape. And it starts off with that pick. And we're like, yeah, here we go. Keep it going. <laughs> and there's almost no possible way to match that for the rest of the picks. So even though they're kind of good, we're maybe we were just like, it's a bit of a letdown just no matter who it was right because there was no way to sort of sustain that level of excitement for the rest of the Ravens draft could have drafted Corey Trice they could have drafted a lot of folks <laughs> later on down and I, and I, I don't think Corey Trice forever and I don't think we're gonna argue that it's a little bit underwhelming in total started off extremely strong and again we're gonna trust the coaches on two or three of these guys because we believe that look they've got a historical precedent of developing players just like this. A few of them are going to hit. Um, so not blown away. Love the top. The rest of it, we weren't as excited. Looking at the uh, undrafted free agent class, though, there was a couple guys they brought in that I thought could have been drafted. Uh, Keaton Mitchell was probably the main one. You know, just an absolute flamethrower at running back, especially out of the backfield. Legit speed. Um Kind of feels like he's going to be the new Justice Hill. Could be. Um, and maybe they'll they'll have a camp battle for that RB3, RB4 spot, whatever. I, I don't remember how many they carry. Um, Typically four. So maybe maybe 
both would make it, but also they kind of play the same role, so we'll see. Either way, he's a priority practice squad candidate. But if he goes off in the preseason, they might not want to risk that, and they might just... It's going to be hard for him not to. His explosive play rate was the best in this running back class. One-third of his runs were explosive plays. He's got incredible speed. Yeah. Just incredible speed. Uh, Dante Demas, Demas, excuse me, uh, from Maryland, keeping the turp in-house. Again, very, very talented player, unfortunately, with an injury history, so... Hopefully he gets back to being eventually what he was before, mm-hmm. uh, before a, or yeah, before a very very uh, scary traumatizing injury that I'm not even gonna put on screen because it's really bad. Uh, and then Travis Vokalik from Nebraska uh, also got him because what is a Ravens uh, rookie class without having a Big Ten tight end? You gotta have one. And from there we go to the overall report card where we give uh, grades for. Four aspects of this team going from 2022 into 2023. Front office, coaching, offense, and defense. The offense and defense part is less about the coaching, more so about the talent infusion. Uh, Front office, again, we want to say up, but when everything is the same for 25 years, I guess we'll just give that an an even steady as she goes. Coaching is up. Mainly because we're going Woo! from Craig Roman <laughs> to Todd Monken. Yeah, uh, that alone gives the up arrow for yeah, me. Like, it's yeah, it's easy. Honestly, easy. one of the most, potentially one of the most impactful, you know, lower grade coaches or sub coaches, in this case, coordinator moves in the entire league. He has the potential to swing more for this Ravens team uh, than I think almost any other coordinator hire in the NFL maybe Brian Flores is in the same category but like yeah. it's at that level those are the guys that we're really talking about for this offense uh, also up and again it's not even just about Todd Mocken it's more so about the talent infusion at the wide receiver position again this might be the best Ravens receiving core ever in their 20 was 20 no maybe close to 30 year history I think it's like 28 29 years something like that this might be the best group of receivers that franchise has ever had, uh, which says a lot. So uh, can't do anything but up there. And then defense, we're just going to keep the same because we love their coaching staff on defense. Mm-hmm. We love their talent on defense. They didn't do any sort of like jaw-dropping additions or losses when it came to uh, free agency or the draft. Like Obviously, the, the, the Calais Campbell loss in the locker room hurts a lot and the Chuck Clark loss in the locker room hurts a lot so maybe you could do like a slight tilt down on the arrow but in terms of like talent on the field I don't necessarily think they've lost enough for me to be like oh they're going to be worse they're still going to be great it's a great unit coached by very good coaches yes and they still have some young talent especially at edge that man if they get a lead on you by like 10 points pack it up yep Pin their ears back, butter the top of their heads, and let them blitz. Ceiling and floor now. Uh, EJ and I both have the same ceiling for this team in in terms of wins at 13, uh, which I know we've been talking them up as like Super Bowl contender the entire time, so maybe that seems low. But 13 in the AFC is still really, really hard to get. Uh, And I think that they could very easily hit 13 if everybody stays healthy. Again, that is the, the biggest caveat with the Ravens every year. Can they stay healthy? 
They could be a 13-win team. They could be a first seed. The entire conference could run through Baltimore. 100% possible. If the wheels fall off and they get hurt and ravaged by injuries again, just like last year, they still won 10 games last year. That's right. So the the floor is not going to be as low as a lot of other teams where we kind of caveat it with injuries. I'm going nine, and that's only if Lamar misses like right. more than half the season. You know, he was knocked out in November last year. If he goes down in like September, October, okay, yeah, we, we can go to nine. But other than that, this is going to be a double-digit win team. They're going to be a playoff team, and they are going to be a nightmare for everybody. It's a ton of pressure for this Ravens team. They have one of the best rosters they've had in a while. They have their quarterback secured. They have an opening on offense to be very good. If that doesn't work, the bedrock of the Ravens offense has always been their rushing attack. We talked about how much potential change is coming to that unit with Todd Monken's philosophies. Now, if Monken says, I'm not going to flex very much and you're going to run my running game and their personnel that is very aligned to Greg Roman's running game, which is systematically quite different, spits the bit and things start to unravel, they're not going to have that to sort of rely on. They've always had that. Like you said, at the end of last year, even when they were hurt and Lamar wasn't playing, their offensive line was mashing people, firing off the ball, and they could still get a chunky yards even without contact. If that goes away, if that superpower goes away, that ironclad run game just misfires and they don't have that to rely on, I could see them only winning eight games. It would take an injury to Lamar as well. It would be both, not either, but and. So that's my floor at eight, but I fully expect this team to be a double-digit win team. We're talking about 13 wins, only four losses in the AFC. That is really good. That's elite. Um, I Again, I said it at the top. I'll say it again. AFC sleeper power team for me is the Baltimore Ravens, and I fully expect them to be engaged and maybe sort of leading or running the conversation at the end of the year. So this season, they play the Bengals twice, obviously, Steelers twice, Browns twice, uh, out of the AFC North, but in the AFC. They play the Colts, the Titans. Uh, they play, what is it, uh, the Texans. They play the Jags. They play the Dolphins. That'll be a tough game. Chargers, oh God, Chargers going to be tough. They also play the NFC West, so they're playing against the, the 49ers and the Seahawks. Where do their four losses come from? I'm curious. Who who do you got that? Miami could absolutely beat them. That's going to be, a, so December 31st, Yeah, cold, outdoors. They could still beat them. They, they kind of lucked out with when they're playing <laughs> Miami, I think. Yeah. Uh, Bengals for sure could split. Bengals could take both. Bengals are another team that we like a lot. And if you're going to ask me again to bet against Joe Burrow, you know it's against my religion. <laughs> I won't do it. Um, I would say, you know, best case scenario for Baltimore, there is a split. I don't see them dominating the Bengals twice. Like, mm -hmm. I doubt that. So at least one comes, two could come from there. One could come from Miami. Um, the Hawks or Niners could beat them on any given Sunday. I, you know, if, if they played a 10-game series... Baltimore would probably win more, certainly, than the Seahawks. Maybe? 
than the 49ers, depending on how their quarterback situation's going. We're going to get to that division next. Um, but either one of them, that could be four losses right there, not to mention, you know, all the others would be like chalk. Oh, we expect them to beat them. But we know how chalk goes in the NFL. You have off weeks. I know our October travel schedule is packed because we're thinking London and we're thinking Eugene and, and all yep. that. We got, a, um, we got a few destinations lined up. There's a Lions-Ravens game October 22nd. Is it Lions-Ravens or Ravens-Lions? It's in Baltimore. Oh, Lions-Ravens. It's a gorgeous, right be- gorgeous day game, right. October in Baltimore. Right before Halloween, yeah. Mm. Soft shell crabs. Okay, we might have a decision to make here we, on camera. We might have to go look <laughs> at some plane tickets, so we got to get out of here. Uh, yes, we will be back tomorrow with our... Uh, no, Bengals. Bengals is tomorrow, right? Yes. Correct. And then we got the AFC North wrap-up episode on Friday where we pick a division winner, Oof. which is going to be rough, extremely <laughs> hard, yeah. uh, as well as picking offensive defensive player of the division of the year, uh, rookie of the year, coach uh, of the year, coach of the year, all that stuff. So uh, make sure to come back on Friday for that. Uh, and with that, EJ, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stand up after downing uh, way too much Sagamore. Yeah. And uh, eventually, we'll get to that Bengals episode. And in good time, we'll see you later.